launching into a, a teaching series called We Are a Missionary Band. You recognize that song we sang for the, for the children's story? We are a missionary. I, I printed the lyrics off right here. We are about a band of children. We are few and weak and small, but we want to work for Jesus. And there's work enough for all. And then the refrain. We are a missionary band. Missionary band. We are a missionary band. Four words. Doing all we can. That's what we do. As a missionary band, we do all we can. Before we get there, though, I want to just read for you a a few lines that I penned in reflecting on the last couple of weeks. We were spread out for spring break. Melanie and I had to be preaching in Loma Linda. And uh, winter weather advisory, Loma Linda, California, 41 degrees, I believe it was, winter weather advisory. (laughs) But those folks have been meeting outdoors this entire year. They have not met in a sanctuary. We were the first service back in their sanctuary on the Loma Linda campus in a year. A year ago this Sabbath, I stood right in this place, but none of you sat in your place. A year ago today. Anyway, brings us to the, the violence of the last couple of weeks. Put it in your bulletin. Just sharing my heart here. This past week, violence came to our area in a mass shooting at a grocery store. Except this time it wasn't a name that we didn't recognize or had once vacationed at. This was a a grocery store name that we recognized. We've shopped in. The week before the mass violence, the week before mass violence pained the Atlanta community and beyond as as some of Asian descent were targeted. Just going. And because communication and media have made ours a global community, Each of these tragedies impact us as if they are in our own town with our own neighbors. The slain officer, Boulder police officer Eric Talley and the King Superstore manager Ricky Olds, just two of the ten who lost their lives, they were geographically down the road. But all, all are our neighbors, according to Luke chapter 10 and Jesus. As I type these words this week, the motivation of Boulder's shoot. The motivation of Boulder's shooting and why 10 people lost their lives has not been communicated or or maybe even discovered. They may not know. But we already know. We know. We don't need a couple of detectives in a back room of a Boulder police station to figure this out. We already know that it was hatred. The hatred has lashed out, sometimes against the visible, like skin and ethnicity. Other times it lashes out against the unseen, like ideas and beliefs. And then sometimes hatred lashes out even at random. But this we know. Hatred for one is hatred for all, including God. You cannot, according to John, 1 John 3.15, you cannot hate one person and love God. So the question poses itself. What can we do? The Austrian psychologist Wilhelm Steckel in 1921 Pin that work, the beloved ego. Isn't that the truth? But he's the first one in that work to have been credited with publishing this line. The opposite of love is not hatred, but indifference. It's tempting 
to do nothing because we couldn't stop or prevent the violence in Atlanta or Boulder. So we do nothing. It's easy to bemoan the actions of some because we haven't committed these societally despised acts of hate. We don't have a part of that. It's not my group that hates like that. It's convenient even to raise our hands in support of some corporate statement. Hey, just let a corporation, let an organization make a statement. We say, that's right, we support that. That's convenient. But that's about the time that Jesus steps to the microphone and, and stretches out his arms in the form of a cross, reminding us that it's not so much the absence of murderous hate, but the presence of active love that the world needs. His followers, Jesus declares, are to love those who are even our enemies. And that it is this love, the love of others, his love through us, that changes the world. We, the followers of Jesus, we must speak out in love to those who are hurting of every color and every creed, even the creeds we disagree with. We can still speak out in love. And we must act out against all hatred, even the concealed private hate of our hearts. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? I suggest, I'm suggesting three. Append it, it using the words of Jesus when he said, this is how you can pray to the Father for the Holy Spirit. Why don't we do those three? Ask, seek, knock. Ask others how they're doing, how they're really doing. How are you doing? Fine, fine, fine. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm asking. How are you really doing? Are you feeling discouraged? Good? Seek. Seek out those who are connected by color or creed to a group currently hurting. Understanding that one of us, is, one of us hurting is all of us hurting. So seek out those who are connected by color or creed to a group currently hurting. Even a group that you may not agree with. I'm not just talking about ethnicity. But maybe there's a group in society or a group in your community that you know might or you, you just might be affected by this. Reach out to them. Number three, knock on the lives of others, intentionally impacting them with acts of love. Knock. Hey, I'm coming in. Intentionally disrupt their lives. It's not going to be convenient. They're not going to necessarily invite it, but just show up. I'm going to love on you. I was in college in a dark time of my life, and I got a call from a friend. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, I'm studying. I got to get ready for some tests. Well, that's too bad. Me and two others, we're coming over, and we're going to drink tea and play games late into the night. Well, what about my test? Tough luck, buddy. We're going to love on you tonight. What if we don't wait for the invitation? What if we knock on their door and say, hey, I don't know where you're, I don't even know if you're hurting, but I'm going to, I'm going to disrupt your life with an act of love. I'm going to interrupt your life. Hey, what are you doing today? Hey, I'm working until 8. Hey, can you get off by 6? Can you just get off early? I know it's two hours of pay, but don't worry about it. Just get off early. I want to take you out. Just love on you. Ask, seek, knock. What if we start there? Because the opposite of love is not hatred. It's not acts of murder. That's not the opposite of love. The opposite of love 
could be our indifference. Speaking of indifference, sometimes we're indifferent to communities that might be hurting. But I've found it to be true that sometimes we're indifferent of the lost. We wish them well. We're not against the lost. We're for them. I hope they meet Jesus. But we're indifferent. The opposite of love is not hatred. We don't hate them. Of course we don't hate them. But the opposite of love is indifference. What God needs is not the absence of murderous hatred, but active love. And that's where we're going these next handful of weeks. We're going to charge right through April and into May taking the life of one missionary at a time. One missionary. Some names we'll recognize, some names we won't. But we'll take their stories and we'll learn from them. We're basing it out of Acts. So grab your Bibles. Got, got your Bibles? Good. Acts. We just finished Daniel a couple of weeks ago before spring break. Now we're going to Acts. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Stephen, young, energetic missionary for Jesus. He is just encouraging and, and, and his enthusiasm is contagious. And Well, there's another young leader. His enthusiasm is contagious. But he's not sold on the Jesus bit. He says, let's, let's stick with what we've always known. His name was Saul. Saul and Stephen come head to head in Acts chapter 8. Not physically. We assume that, they, that uh, Saul obviously saw Stephen. We assume Stephen at some point saw, saw Saul. But Saul approves of their killing him. They stone Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution, that ignites a fire, and it spreads this persecution through the church in Jerusalem. And everybody, everybody's packing up and fleeing Jerusalem except for the apostles. They scattered through Judea and Samaria. Verse 3, but Saul begins to destroy the church, going from house to house. Hey, that's a great idea. If the church can be persecuted house to house, why can't the church be built house to house? Why don't we go house to house? That's a great idea. Maybe this afternoon at 3 o'clock. That's not going to be the last time you hear of that reference, by the way. Susie was very, very polite when she said, please come. If you... That was a must. You must come. You must come. And let me, let me just see if I can convince you. Okay, so Saul's going house to house. He drags people off, both men and women, puts them in prison, takes their stuff, their possessions are lost. Verse 4, those who have been scattered preach the word wherever they went. Oh, Saul didn't see that coming. As he scatters the church, they're running through towns and villages telling people, hey, why are you running, man? Where are you going? I'm running because I believe in Jesus. And they don't like it. Why don't they like it? Well, because he, and the word goes out. It took a tragedy. It took a tragedy to mobilize the first century Christians as missionaries. God took something that was ashes, the persecution, and turned it into beauty. The world was turned upside down because of these Christians. Ever since, the heartbeat of Christianity has been found in Jesus. And that must go to every nation, language, and race. That's the heartbeat of Christianity.
from every corner to every corner, from every home to every home. So I want to take you to the life of William Carey. Yeah, maybe you've done some reading. William Carey, he's known as the father of modern missions, the father of, of missionaries. Now, there were some missionaries before him, but it was not a movement in Protestantism, at least. Let me put a picture of, of him on the screen. Ah, fine-looking fellow. In this picture, he kind of makes me think he's, he's one of the presidents on, the, on, the, on one of our bills, our currency. So let me put a picture up of a book. Uh, it brings a little bit more color. It's not, it's not as big, but uh, Candle uh, to the Dark is, is the book, and it's a colorful picture. You can see William Carey Center book there. Let me tell you about his childhood. Unexceptional, mostly. He was born in a little village of 800 people. 800 people. It's Pollersbury in, in England. 800 people. Nothing. It was the kind of place that when people asked him where he's from, he had to reference uh, a city about a half an hour away or an hour away. You know, you know how it is. It's, it's like most of you that live or come from Kansas. You just... You, <laughs> Hey, I grew up in rural, I grew up in 10 Mile, Oregon. 10 Mile, what, what is 10 Mile, where's 10 Mile, Oregon? Exactly, 10 Mile, it's 10 miles from nothing. And then once you get to nothing, then you have to reference somewhere else to, to pinpoint. But that's, that's where he grew up. Born August 17, 1761, in that little obscure village. His dad, his dad taught, taught reading to poor children. So there wasn't a lot of money to be made in that. And he doubled up. He had a second job working for the church, doing some clerical work, apparently. William, though, grew, and as much as his dad tried to direct him, William admits that by age 14, he was addicted to swearing, lying, unchaste conversation. He, he, he spent his time with the ringers. Ringers. I had to look that up. It's not a bell choir. It's, it's, uh, it's a group people that are fraudulent. They're not trustworthy. They're fake. That was his, his circle of people. And then he would hang out with the society around the blacksmith shop, and apparently that was questionable. His father would give him the strictest guidelines. Come on, please. But somehow William would always scurry around and disappear until he was 14. At 14, he had a friend, John Ward. Another teenage kid shows up and they become friends. But John War is different. He actually wants to be good. He wants to follow this God stuff and his parents. And, and John War at 14 has an influence on William Carey. And William says, well, there's something more to this. I want, I want more of what he has. Our lives can be a testimony, can be a mission. I told the, the teenagers in first service, I said, please, the impact of your social relationships could raise up a William Carey, a missionary for Jesus. Well, at his conversion, he became in, in, intrigued, just in, mobilized with this commission, this great commission of Jesus that, that we read together just moments ago, to go into all the world. I'll go with you. 
He said, if we're going to be, if we're going to be Christians, we've got to go. We can't sit here. He wrote, multitudes sit at ease and give themselves no concern about the far greater part of their fellow sinners who are lost in ignorance and idolatry. We've got to go, said William. And, and in this culture, in William's culture, there was not a culture of, of mission. The student missions? Are you kidding? The story is told in a meeting one day where the preacher stood up. There were people began to talk. Some young people. Terrible, terrible story. Young people begin to talk. We've got to go. We've got to go take Jesus to the world. The preacher stood up in their group, said, Listen, God doesn't need, God doesn't need you. If God wanted to save the sinners, he would do it himself without you. That was the culture of the church. Don't go tell people about Jesus. God doesn't need you to save the lost. But William Carey would be undeterred. And in 1792, he organizes a mission, missionary society. And in his first sermon, his first sermon, he gives the line that becomes the war cry of his life and mobilizes the entire missionary movement. In his first sermon, belief inspired by God. He'll put it on the screen for you. These lines, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. You can expect great from God, but you must attempt great for him. From him will come great, but you must do great for him. And that war cry becomes the most famous line of William Carey's life. Within a year, William Carey is packed up. He's got three kids, one on the way. He's packed up and ready to head to India. The Thomas family is willing to go with him. Former surgeon said, hey, we'll go with you as missionaries. Dolly, William Carey's wife, is not so sold on the idea of taking, being pregnant, going to India, and taking the two small children. So they're going to stay behind in England. And William's going to take his oldest son with the Thomas family, his oldest son Felix, and they're going to go to India. And then later they'll, they'll reunite. They get one leg of their trip in to Portsmouth, and they're about to board a ship headed to in India. When the captain of the ship finds out that William Carey has some bad debt, and in that time, who's a missionary? What's a missionary? You've got bad debt. You need to go take care of your debt. You can't, you can't be a, a stowaway on my ship. Like William Carey said, I'm not. I, I'll deal with my debt, but I'm going as a missionary. Who's a missionary? A missionary sounds like someone that's getting away from their debt. So the captain wouldn't let him on the ship. William Carey sits on the dock watching the very ship that he was convinced God was supposed to have him on, and it sails away. And in the book, Obliged to Go, put these lines on the screen, there were a thousand questions and doubts that flooded his mind as he sat there on their luggage with his oldest son, Felix, watching the ships disappear. And, and the ships aren't like flights today. It wasn't like, hey, wait two hours and grab the next flight. It was six months before there would be another ship to India. Sometimes when you work for God, it doesn't all go according to plans. Your plans, our plans. 
But a thousand questions and a thousand doubts will flood our minds. But we are to stay faithful to the calling that God has given us to work on. William and Felix return home six months later. Dolly is now feeling more confident with their children. Six months later, they board a ship to India. As you noted in the picture, William Carey was bald. He was due to a disease, an illness in his 20s. He lost the center portion of his hair. He always wore a wig. But on his way to India, he said, God, I don't want to be anybody that's pretending anything. And so he felt like his wig was part of that pretending. And so there, halfway to India, he took his wig and threw it off the ship. Never wore another wig. When he got to the mission field, there was nobody there waiting for them. There was no, no mission society waiting there for them with a house and, and a little parade. They had to find a job. They had to work. They grossly underestimated what it would cost to live in India. Their health, their mental health, their emotional health, the loneliness, the poverty. But they worked on. For seven years, they worked without a single baptism. We had a baptism in first service. Without a single baptism for seven years. But after seven years, Krishna Pal became their first convert. That began a team effort with William Carey to now translate the Bible. William Carey, at age 14, when he became converted, had taught himself Latin, Hebrew, and Greek. Bright mind absorbed those languages, and so he began to invest himself for the next 28 years. He translated the Bible in the six most major languages in the country of India, and parts of the Bible in 209 other languages and dialects. For 28 years, he worked to get the gospel as revealed in the word of God to India. There's something about the gospel. There's something about the gospel that, that, that mobilizes us to social reform as well. And his work in India was not just, not just to translate and teach the Bible, but to teach the teachings of the Bible. He played an influential role in, in, in getting rid of widow burning, burning widows. He played an inf, uh, influential role in doing away with assisted suicide and health concerns. He established schools that would train and educate the young people. Here's my, my conclusion, just to be honest. When it comes to areas of social justice and social reform, if you want to pick the individual areas to make your campaign on, you will be limited to those areas. But if you take the gospel of Jesus as your one concern, it will embrace all of those. I'm not, dis I'm not, I'm not at all disagreeing with the, with, the, with the need to address them. But if the gospel is primary, we will, we will cover all of them. If we make them primary, it will, it will limit us to our impact. William Carey 
spent those years, 41 years in all, in India. 41 years without a furlough. 41 years. He emptied himself for the cause of Jesus. At the end of 41 years, they counted 700 converts to Jesus. That's impressive. The Bible translations, 209 dialects and languages, along with the six most major languages in India. But that's not the end of his influence. That line, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God, became a war cry that echoed through Protestantism. Missionaries like the Judsons, like Hudson Taylor, David Livingston, which we'll get to in a few weeks, these missionaries put their their roots back to his cry, William Carey's cry, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. These great missionaries go back to that cry as the cry that mobilized them, that gave them the confidence to go out and in, in, in their own turn be missionaries. At the end of his life, now at 73, he had become a bit of a, a legend back in England. Famous. People collected things that used to belong to him. A cup that he drank from. A pair of shoes. He worked as a cobbler for a while. A pair of shoes that he made. These became trader, trading items, sell items at, at auctions. William Carey items. But William Carey would have none of it. I want nothing to do with that, he said. The less said about me, the better. And then in 1834, as he lay dying on his bed, he called a fellow missionary, young man Alexander Duff, to his side. He said, Mr. Duff, in almost whispered tones, you have been speaking about Dr. Carey. He received an honorary doctorate for his mission work. You've been speaking about Dr. Carey. Dr. Carey? When I am gone, say nothing about Dr. Carey. Speak about Dr. Carey's Savior. One of the most well-known works of William Carey was his 11 Commandments for Missionaries. They put together, him and some others, notably so, contributed to this work, 11 Commandments for Missionaries. I'm going to give you three of the 11, but just three. Number one, in order to be prepared for our great and solemn work, it is absolutely necessary that we set an infinite value upon immortal souls until you and I realize the value of that individual lost. We're not mobilized. We don't care. They take it or leave it. But if we know they, their value, 
then we take it on ourselves to reach them. The fourth commandment of his 11. It, be, it becomes us to watch all opportunities of doing good. We are apt to relax mm. in these act, active exertions, especially in a warm climate. But we shall do well always to fix it in our minds that life is short, that all around us are perishing, and that we incur a dreadful woe if we proclaim not the glad tidings of salvation. We've got to speak up, beloved. The fourth commandment. The fifth commandment. In preaching to the heathen, we must keep to the example of Paul and make the great subject of our preaching Christ the crucified. It is well-known fact that the most successful missionaries in the world at the present day make the atonement of Christ center. What do I tell people? Tell them that he's risen. Tell them that he died, that he rose for them, and that he's coming back to take them home. That's it. That's all. Acts 17, verse 6. The persecution of the church, they dragged some other believers, they dragged them before the city officials, and they shouted, saying, these men have caused trouble all over the world. King James, turn the world upside down. And they have come here now as well. The story of Jesus, the retelling and the telling and the retelling of the story of Jesus will turn the world upside down. It is not the absence of hate, but the active presence of love that changes the world. There's a line in Acts, the beginning of Acts and then toward the end of Acts. It bookends. Let me give it to you. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. You will be my witnesses, says Jesus. You will be my witnesses to where? To the ends of the earth. Everywhere. To the ends of the earth. I love that line. To the ends. How far do we go, Jesus? To the end. How far? Just keep going until you reach the end and then, and then that's it. And Paul, in Acts chapter 13, verse 47, he recites exactly the words of Jesus. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. How far? The end. Just keep going until you reach the end. Then you'll, that's it. Jesus gave us directions. Here's what I need you to do. You go, and you go, and you go, and you go until you get to the end of the street. That's, right? That's always the easiest, easiest directions. Hey, how do, you get, how do I get to your house? Well, you, you go down there until the very end, and then you'll turn. That's always the easiest. You don't have to worry about it until you get to the end of the road. You don't have to wonder, am I still supposed to go? Yep, until you get to the end. Keep going. What are you waiting for? You know, those of you that have run races, foot races, it's, 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 the, it's, it's, the head, it's the headband people that are the most serious, right? The, the, uh, the, you'll, you'll see these guys run by in headbands. Some of them have their little wristbands. Then you know that they're a serious runner. Everybody else is just faking it. The, the serious runners put the headbands on. Here's what I feel like we do sometimes as a church. We get together. 
hey, come on. We need to go. You know that whole sermon, William Carey? We need to go. Okay, come on. Let's put our headband on. We jazz each other up. Come on, you can do it. Punch each other in the chest a couple of times. Come on, come on, let's go. Let's go. Where are we going? Let's go to the end of our street. Really? We get ourselves all jazzed up like committees. Hey, we need a committee. Um, all in favor of uh, taking the gospel. Mm. Come on, be strong, everyone. In favor of taking the gospel to the end of the street. Raise your hand. <laughs> what do we think we're doing? Jesus said, get out of here. Go. Well, how far, Jesus? I mean, we need to talk about this, don't we? No. Go. Well, how far? I mean, we need to make a plan. Like, how far are we going to go? To the end of the world. <laughs> We put our little headbands on as a church sometimes and get all serious. We're going to sweat. This is, this is big stuff. I mean, like nobody else is doing this. Let's, come on. You with me? Oh, you guys, you guys get what I'm saying? A little mockery. But really, Jesus said, go. Go to the ends of the earth. And we're all thinking we're something when we go to the end of our driveway and say something about Jesus and put a little pamphlet in somebody's door. There. You see that, Jesus? I did it. Get my headband on and get serious about it. Guys, the pamphlets are great. But come on. This is the one thing. This is life and death. I read this story. Two college rival football teams, Alabama and Auburn back in the 70s. They're going at it. It's down to the final play. Unfortunately for Auburn, their starting quarterback is now out with an injury. They've got the ball and they've got the lead. They need to play all four downs to run the clock out. They don't need a score. They just need to run the clock out. So second string quarterback, psh, you're in. Listen, you don't do anything but hand the ball off. Nothing. There is nothing in the huddle said besides handoff, 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 handoff. That's it. First down, handoff. Second down, handoff. Third down, handoff. Fourth down, the snap. The exchange between the center and the quarterback is, is fumbled. So now the quarterback, second string, Mr. has to pick the, has now missed his handoff, has to pick the football off, off the turf. So now he's got, to, he's got to make it up. He's got to audible this thing in his mind. And so he steps back and says, I'm just going to pass this thing into the end zone. We're, we'll be all right. Now, second, he was a second-string quarterback. He, he was all right, but he was, he was not known well for his speed, for his, his own ability to run. So he knew, hey, I've got to just pass this thing out. Ah, this, steps back and passes it woo, to the corner of the end zone. Ah, no, Alabama was not fooled by that. Safety interception, and now safety, Alabama's safety is running, streaking down his sideline. Safety's Going to be a little faster than the average guy. Streaking down the sideline toward a touchdown. Time is out. Time has expired, but they've got the ball, and the play is still live. He's outrun everybody. But coming from across the field, it comes this diagonal second-string quarterback, giving it everything he got, yards before the end zone. Mr. Second String Quarterback tackles the safety. The news conference after the game. 
News reporters are asking the coach, I mean, what did you think of that? How in the world did, did he catch up to, what do you think, coach? And the coach leans into the microphone and says, the Alabama safety was running for a touchdown. My second string quarterback was running for his life. And that made the difference. We've been treating the loss like it's just a number. It's just a membership. Why, I mean, what's the difference between 768 members and 769 members? It's just a score. Really? No, it's not. And that will be the difference. Those who understand the value of that soul, it's not a number in the membership. It is their, their, their eternity. And we will run. We will play our game differently. We will serve in missions differently. We will go differently when we know that it's not just a number. It's not just a score. It's an eternity. And William Carey speaks up, or at least his line echoes through our hearts today. We must expect great things from God. But we must also attempt great things for God. So what are you expecting? What you expect will inform what you attempt. One year ago today, one year ago this Sabbath, I stood right here, and there wasn't anybody but a few of our musicians sitting out there. You were all at home. You were watching through the camera. We put up a big sign above that center camera saying, look here, because this is where everybody's at. And we begin to talk, all of us, saying, God, if God ever brings us back together as a church, if he lets us meet in, in person again, I'll, 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 we'll do it differently. We'll live differently. We'll be more courageous for him. When we get in a bind, we start telling God we'll do a lot of things. Where are those voices now? Are we too comfortable back in church? Yeah, that was nice. It's not over yet, but I mean, we're, we're doing all right now. Strike the music. Oh, beloved, I believe God wants to bring beauty out of ashes, out of COVID ashes. I believe God wants to raise up a generation that will live life differently. So you heard that about an outreach Sabbath this afternoon? You heard about a prayer time? Two hours from three to five. You heard about that? I, I know, but we were planning on a walk. Or, or what do we say? We're planning on, we don't say nap. We don't say nap anymore. We say rest. Oh, we need to rest. I'm not against walking, Sabbath walks. I am against Sabbath naps. I just don't see any, any use in those. But okay, take your walk. Take your walk from five to seven, but from three to five, let's go tell the world. Let's visit some shut-ins. Let's encourage them. Let's visit door-to-door -door with, with invitations for, for the Easter program. Let's pray together right here in the community center for a couple of hours, pleading with God to pour his spirit out and save our community and our family. Expect great things from God, and you will attempt great things for God. I want to invite our worship team up.
They're going to lead us in this commitment to Him. You know, we have a, a line around here that you've heard once or twice, each one reach one. Um, our goal, my goal, my prayer is that by the end of April, maybe early May, we'll be having dreams about that line. We've got to go, beloved. Our musicians are leading us in a theme song. It's called Facing an Unf Unfinished Task. It's not done yet. This will drive us to our knees. It rebukes our slothful ease. We've got to make the solemn pledge to go and make you known. This afternoon at 3 o'clock. make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace until again we meet in worship. Amen.